May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. And so there are these two old, good old boys from Kentucky who are standing outside the Piggly Wiggly one day, waiting on their wives as they were inside shopping, and they started talking to one another, talking to each other about the things that men in Kentucky talk about, the weather. When you're in farm country, you always talk about the weather. And after the weather, they talked about other things that men in Kentucky talk about, like tobacco and cars and horse racing and all the important things of life. But on this particular day, the women must have also been inside talking because it took them longer than usual. And so running out of conversation topics, one of the men says to the other, so yeah, Republican or Democrat? The other guy says, well, tell you the truth, those terms aren't even relevant anymore. Today you say, are you a conservative or a liberal? The other fellow says, well, what in the world does that mean? He said, well, the best I can explain it to you is the way it's been explained to me. Something like this. Suppose you was walking by a lake one day, and about 50 foot out in the lake, you see this man who's drowning, screaming for his life. Now, if he was a conservative and you walked by and saw that, you'd take a 25 foot rope and throw it out to him, proving that the man could swim the first 25 feet and save himself. And then you'd help him out. But if you was a liberal, you'd take a 50-foot rope and throw it out there. And then you'd turn loose your end and run off and do some other good deed. (laughs) You know, as I thought about that story, I thought that, you know, some of the problems in our country um, that we think about, some of the perilous things that we have to face, rising national debt, two wars, Um, All sorts of other issues, an economy uh, that's on the brink of destruction, moral decay, all the things. I'm not really worried about those issues so much as I'm worried about the lack of people to save us from them. Who's going to rescue us from these perilous times? They say that if a person is drowning out in a, in a, in a lake or a river or someone who's drowning and, and someone comes along to rescue them, the biggest problem the rescuer has is the person who's fighting for their lives. Because they're so desperate to save their own lives that they, you, know, you have to wait until they're exhausted and out of strength before you can save them. And so uh, you know, I think it's kind of funny that, um, that the thing that you most want in a situation like that is to be saved. And the thing that fights against that is your ability to try to save yourself. I really admire people, and perhaps you do too, who are rescuers. People who go into burning buildings, who who run the opposite direction. When everybody's running away, they're running in. I love people like that. When I was a kid, the two occupations I most wanted to be was either a firefighter or a physician. And, uh, you know, I I wanted to, you know, doctor, that was it. I, I really wanted... I really wanted to be a physician, but I almost faint at the sight of blood. So it's probably not the right vocation for me. And if there's burnt toast in the house, (laughs) I can't really stand it, you know. So firefighter was out too. But I remember as a kid, I remember watching shows, TV shows, and it would be, you know, the ER doctor who goes running to the the gurney with the person who's bleeding and, and near death. They run to him and they have the answers. And I always thought to myself, I want to be that guy. Didn't you? I mean, you remember thinking that. Or, or the, the, the fire shows and, and, and there's a burning building and here go these firemen running in to this burning building while everyone else is running out. Man, I want to be those guys. The one thing I didn't want to do, maybe you remember this too, is I didn't want to be a chicken. I didn't want to be a coward. 
There was nothing worse than being a coward. I even remember we used to play this game, Truth or Dare. You remember that game? Truth or Dare? None of you played that game? <laughs> I played Truth or Dare. You know, it was always some version of a dare, really. Even if you told the truth, it was, a, it was risking embarrassment, wasn't it? Truth or Dare? Usually, Truth or Dare was about kissing girls, right? I, I mean, I, for girls, probably kissing boys. Um, but uh, you remember that? I, I remember kissing Rebecca Johnson in the sixth grade. Man, she was cute, though. It wasn't really much of a dare, let me tell you. But, but I, it, it was something you, you had to do. You had to take that challenge. You had to do it in front of your friends. And, and, and I wanted to be a hero. I wanted to be a guy with courage who wasn't afraid to kiss the prettiest girl in school. <laughs> she was probably afraid to kiss me, but the other way around wasn't so much. I wanted to be heroic. The disciples of Jesus are anything but heroic. When Jesus goes to the cross, what do his friends do? You know what they do. They flee, don't they? They're all gone. Nobody's around. Yeah, the women go to the, the cross, but it's really not as much a risk for them. They're not viewed as much of a threat. So their, their hazardous duty pay isn't nearly what you think it might be. Most of the disciples fled. They ran to save their skin. In fact, in the gospel lesson, you heard it, didn't you? They're in a house with the door tightly locked because they were afraid. Phobos in Greek. They had a terrible phobia. They had a phobia that there was somebody who's going to come knocking on the door saying, Hello, we're here to arrest you. They saw the Lord Jesus on a cross and they knew that there were 11 other crosses waiting for them. And no one wanted to be the first one to get on that. They were terribly afraid. And so we find this house. Ten of them are gathered. Maybe some others. Seems like some women were there. Mary Magdalene, for sure, had come just in the verse before. A crowded house, I'm sure. A locked door. No one's getting in. No one's going out except Thomas. Thomas had to go out. Somebody had to go to the Piggly Wiggly and pick up something to eat, right? And and Thomas, you know, is the guy who drew the short straw because he went alone. Nobody else even went with him. And the rest are all huddled in the house. Door tightly locked. And then Jesus shows up. John wants us to see this. Door is tightly locked and Jesus is suddenly in their midst. How did he get in? Climb in a window? Sneak in the back door? Well, probably not one of those ways. I think John wants to say something about the post-resurrection body of Jesus is able to be in places you didn't think he would be. Luke says he all of a sudden shows up in the midst of a conversation on a road to Emmaus. Where did he come from? Nobody knows. He just is there. And now he's in this upper room. And he says something to these men. It's a greeting that anyone would have given to any person in the first century. In fact, even today, if you were in the Middle East and you met somebody, they would give you the same greeting. Peace be to you. Peace be with you. The same greeting you're going to give to one another in just a few moments. You're going to say, peace be with you. Somebody else is going to say, peace be with you. But I want you to hear it afresh. Jesus showing up in a room full of a bunch of frady cats, terrified that they're all going to die, be arrested, thrown into prison, hung on a cross. Jesus shows up and he says to them, not once, but twice, peace be with you. Imagine how that would have settled their hearts. But then he follows it up with something no one wants to hear. Perhaps you caught it. Even as the Father sent me into the world, so I am sending you. Remember, Upstairs, locked door, afraid to go out. 
I'm sending you into the world. I'm sure somebody at this point said, uh, well, you know, there's this thing, you know. We don't really want to go out into the world. We're very much comfortable here. We sent Thomas to the Piggly Wiggly. Everything's going to be fine. We told him to pick up chocolate milk. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be good. We'll just stay right here. Thank you very much. That's not what he says, though, is he? You're going into the world. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to announce the forgiveness of sins. To whomever you, you um, release them from their sins, those sins are going to be released. Yes, I know there's the other part. And to whomever you bind those sins, they shall be bound. But the second part is a concession, isn't it? It's about the hardness of people's hearts. Those who refuse to repent and believe, you're going to have to say, you're not going to be forgiven if you don't repent. But the good news is there is the, re, the remission of sins. The good news is that everyone, get this, everyone can be reconciled to God. There's a, there's a fascinating little uh, idiom in Greek. It's antinome. It, it actually literally means whom, whomevers, plural, whom, whomevers. Go to whom, whoever's you find and tell them this. That you can be freed from sin. You can find real joy, real peace, real meaning in life. You can be set free and have all the very best things of life. I want you to imagine, for some, imagine with me for a moment that I have up here a, a bunch of stacks of $100 bills. Okay? Just stacks and stacks of them. I don't know how many, I don't know how they're bound. I know you bind 50 ones. I'm good with ones. I don't know how they bind $100 bills. If you know, I'm free for lunch today. Okay, but um, they, they bind these, uh, you know, the stacks of, of $100. You got that, didn't you, Sally? You got these, uh, th- these $100 bills up here. And, um, and after church, you know, I, I kind of gather them all and I go down there. And, and as you're walking out, I just start handing them to you. You know, with a hug and a handshake, and here's a stack of $100 bills. But there's this little caveat. You're not allowed to keep any of them for yourself. I want you to just take them and spread them around the world. But you know what? I know this church. I wouldn't even have to tell you guys that. If I gave them to you, that's exactly what you would do. They're the most generous people I've ever met. You would do this anyway. I know what you would do. You would be going into the city and finding homeless people. You'd scare the pants off of them. Maybe literally as well as metaphorically. And and you would be handing those things out, wouldn't you? Some of you would go to children's hospital and you'd really lift the spirits of some weary parents. Some of you would probably go to college campuses, make some kids' day, make some bartenders' day. You know, it'd be a real happy day on the college campuses. Some of you would fly to a foreign country. You'd rescue some orphan kids. You'd relieve some families who were struggling with diseases like AIDS or malaria. You'd help them dig wells so there'd be clean water in villages where people are dying because they don't have clean water to drink. I know what you would do with it. I I, I wouldn't even have to tell you. Because you're already doing these things. But I wonder, what would you do if you had something even more valuable than money? You see, if you had something even more valuable than money... I don't think you'd have to be told what to do with that either. Amen.